If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Crypto with Accountants, CWA, powered by Bitwave, where we talk with technologists and crypto enthusiasts as we discuss current events in economy, politics, technology, and digital assets with thought leaders from around the world. Hosted by Pat White and Rafael Casas, today we have a fantastic guest and personal friend, Dr. Sean Steinsmith. Many of you have probably already heard of him, but I'll give you a quick little rundown for those that haven't. Sean is an assistant professor at the City, uh, at the City University of New York, Lehman College, He serves on the advisory board of Wall Street Blockchain Alliance, where he chairs the accounting working group. Sean sits on the advisory board of several other other think tanks as well, uh, advisory to Crescent City Capital Crypto Asset Investment Fund, Um, but several bullet points and accolades that he has. I can go on and on, but he's visiting research fellow at the American Institute of Economic Research, top 100 most influential people in accounting, 40 under 40, in the accounting profession from 2017 to 2022 by CPA Practice Advisor, Uh, outstanding young CPA of the Year Award by ACPA in 2022. Sean, longtime friend, thank you so much for being here. We know you have an amazing and very busy schedule, and we're just so happy to have you here. So welcome to uh, Crypto with Accountants. Absolutely, Raphael. Happy to be here. And Pat, as always. It's it's awesome to... Yeah, what's happening, going on, everybody? Pat? Um, Sean, it's awesome to have you on on today, man. Um, and we've known each other now for for going on at least about four years, which is is almost yeah. amazing. I mean, it's uh, uh, lo- lo- these uh, crypto crypto accounting uh, yields long term relationships because it's, it's it's going to war and uh, and coming back alive. Pretty hopefully. much, that's how it feels most days. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, how did you, you know, just looking over your, your resume here. Um, did you, so just out of curiosity, did you get into crypto first or did you get into accounting so, first? I'm sorry, uh, into, uh, the wall street blockchain. Alliance sure. First. So I got into crypto and blockchain probably, uh, at the back half of 20, 2015 early, uh, with the 2016. And then, and then I joined the wall street blockchain Alliance. I'd say I joined that probably during the first half of 20, 2017, I actually met Ron at a at a conference that that i was on a panel at and th- and then after the panel people started talking and everything sort of rolled forward for, on that point yeah well and ron's just the nicest guy in the world so it's easy to imagine uh getting getting sucked into the <laughs> into the universe that way how what, what got you into crypto in in 2015 so i was just finishing up my phd work and and so you know during that time i had no time for anything else but but during 2015, I was hearing about this whole blockchain thing, Bitcoin, cryptographic you know, money, and and I was really really interested in it. And so after I finished up doing my PhD research, I was able to sort of pop the hood on this whole blockchain thing. And then after I actually got some more knowledge on that, it really was like, hey guys, wait a second, this whole blockchain idea is going to impact every aspect of accounting, audit, tax, and business at large. And so then I was uh, able to build on that, get get more into Bitcoin. I was buying Bitcoin by, I guess, Q2 2016. Should have bought more back then. 
obviously. But it's <laughs> good. Yeah, I know. always, always. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it was your blockchain into Bitcoin and then uh, into crypto. Got it. Um, super interesting. So, I mean, if you got in 2015, 2015 was right around when the Ethereum uh, drop yep. happened and things like that. So you, you've gotten a chance to sort of see uh, the whole growth. I mean, that's from when there was yep. only Bitcoin to now there's, you know, millions and millions of tokens spread across all the different yeah. ecosystems. What did you, you know, what, what sort of piqued your curiosity about blockchain and accounting? I know it's sort of a, it's kind of a 101 question, but uh, why did you think that it would change sure. everything? And so, and so really the, the big ways that I sort of thought and more and more knew, right? that that blockchain was going to alter everything about accounting, bookkeeping, auditing, all the rest, is that basically the the core value add of a traditional audit, traditional in-house corporate accounting team is to organize data, verify it, confirm it, and to then and to then make it understandable, right? Either to internal colleagues and management or to external clients. And so if you're able to have a traceable, transparent, unalterable record, of those transactions in real time, available to everybody who's a part of that network, that is a game-changing evolution in how in how data, be it Bitcoin or any other type of information, is managed, stored, and then analyzed. And so, and so that sort of light bulb moment, I went, oh my God, it's gonna upend everything. And it hasn't quite gotten there yet, but but uh, all of us right here on, on this podcast, right, um, are really sort of trying to get that that message out uh, into. How, how do you think? How do you think blockchain has done uh, versus kind of where we all think it's going to go eventually, uh, and where we are today, and where we were in 2015? Like, how, how do you think? How do you think we're we're doing? How do you think we're going along that along that? Well, path? you know, uh, there have been some ups. And some downs, right? Yeah. And so I've been going around doing trainings, presentations, lectures at, at all kinds of places, right? Colleges, uh, uh, accounting firms, policymakers. Really, I was starting that towards the end of 2016. And so, and so from 2015 yep. up until call it Q123, the whole conversation around blockchain has fortunately moved quite a quite a a bit forward right pretty much everybody has a basic yeah. handle as to how it works and the opportunities uh it then creates uh, but i would say that, that the biggest headwinds still aren't connected to blockchain they're connected to crypto oh, yeah. be it ftx nft frauds you know, binance is a whole other conversation but but all of those sort of bad <laughs> bad headlines and all of that directly connects to not having good accounting standards in the space. So it's almost like the the audiences and the and the progress made in getting accountants more comfortable and more sort of engaged with blockchain has been going forward. But at the same time, it is being held back by those lack of. Well, even like right right now, we're going through this period of of. I don't know, re-regulation or something like where some of the regulators, you know, we've, we've all been crying for, for you know, focus to be brought to this for a long time. Something happens like FTX, some of the regulators are like, oh my God, crypto. Yeah, I guess we should look at that. And then uh, completely over-rotate in the other direction on it. 
But I, I will, let me ask you one question. Cause I, this was sort of a, a funny thing that I saw where officers like, were you, were you surprised? So given we're talking about this kind of evolution of accounting and crypto as, as kind of brethren here, were you surprised when FASB came out late last year saying that they were rethinking their standards? So I was pleasantly surprised that. Ple- yeah, yes, pleasantly I was, surprised. I was pleasantly, yeah, but, I was but pleasantly surprised, surprised <laughs> right? right? Because people have been banging on the table for the FASB to be more engaged in this space. I actually co-authored a, a, a letter to the FASB with Ron and a third individual back in the fall of 2019, asking to have crypto asset accounting added onto their work streams. And so they finally got the ball rolling yeah. at the end of, I think it was the end of 2021, right? They finally announced their plan to add this and they are planning to have a rule on the books, basically for Bitcoin and for Ether by the end of, of 2023. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was pleasantly surprised, but I'm also, I'm also cautiously optimistic that after getting that first rule on the books, it's going to be a, a lot easier to add follow-up rules and follow-up standards going forward. Because it, because it ends up being kind of a, a addendum yeah. rather yep. than a full re start from zero, get people, get consensus Absolutely. that way. I mean, I was, I was surprised that they touched it. Honestly, I thought it was going to be 2024 before they reasonably got to it. So I was, I was very surprised, very pleasantly surprised, uh, that they actually decided to pick it up in the 22, you know, Q4, 22, uh, no, and, uh, I'd say there, Pat, that, 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 that actually, I don't think too much of anything policy wise will happen during 2024. And even more so during the back half of 2024, because I don't know if you've heard, but, but at the end of 2024, we, we, we have this upcoming vote. I think it's for president coming up at the back half of, of 2024. So I kind of doubt that any policymakers or uh, any regulators are going to be proactively trying to upset anybody on either side during that back half. <laughs> do literally anything during that period. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, have- which, which of course is interesting because all of the regulations from the twenty, the twenty twenty infrastructure bill, twenty twenty something like that, uh, all they got delayed from twenty three. Some of them, some of them were targeted twenty four, but they all hit twenty four. Yep. So all the stuff that we see now, the cost basis, the ten ninety nine DAs, uh, or ten ninety nine, you know, what, what would be traditionally a you know a 1099B mm-hmm. from your brokerage, all of that is slated to be enforced in uh, 2024. Yep. So it will be a very tumultuous year for crypto, even if no one talks about exactly, crypto. Exactly, exactly. There's <laughs> down the lead up to the to the Already election. plenty coming in the pipeline anyway. To, yeah. There's a lot going on. I wanted to quickly touch on something, Pat, that you had brought up and some of the questions you had with um, regards to like, you know, businesses and blockchain. I know Dr. Sean, you and I go way back meeting like account techs back in the day in Boston and going to all of your educational courses and, you know, they've been amazing. And I think that's something that you're really known for of the education side, you know, bringing that to the accounting profession and businesses. And, you know, you just recently came out with a book and I wanted to kind of touch on that. Um, you co-authored a book here, the Emerald Handbook of Blockchain for Business and wanted to see if some of the things that you're talking about, is that also covered in your book more in depth? Um, absolutely. And so obviously as as any book author knows, right? By the time you actually get the book out to market, you're already out of date, right? But uh, but 
in the book itself, right? The right the the whole goal of the book is to try to emulate and to try to mirror myself and my excellent co-authors and my excellent co-editors, basically trying to bring some objective, rational examination on these topics, talking about blockchain applications for business, blockchain applications in the audit space, blockchain applications for non-financial institutions. And then also trying to trying to have a have a have a productive conversation as to why certain things have not happened yet, right? Like a like a crypto ETF, a Bitcoin ETF. Why are you know uh, that one that yes, one's closer? The Bitcoin ETF very very is, close. Uh, man, the news yesterday that that's that is really yeah, interesting. That, um, I was I was that if we're talking yeah. about pleasantly surprised, that was not something that I was expecting at all. Given given the current climate, I never mm. thought that that was going to start. Sneaking no, and closer. and and it's and it's honestly all I I believe thanks to one one uh, judge basically questioning the arguments made by the SEC during the actual trial. So yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Absolutely. Yeah, and with good reason. I mean, at the end of the day, it is really bizarre that we have. ETFs for every commodity imaginable, including now, you know, we saw I was, the I was just going to say that. ETF I was just going to say that, launched, which is just, which, which is essentially, I mean, that's essentially a derivative yes. ETF. Like it's, it's not, but it is, it's a derivative strategy. It's a short, short, long strategy derivative yep. ETF on something, which is, I mean, it's like, it's crazy to like have all these insane ETFs, but then like, no, 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 we can't do Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, no, no, like, and, uh, uh, well, I was going to mention that, that it's absurd right? That here in the US, the global leader in everything financial markets related, that there's no even crypto ETF, right? And that honestly, yeah. if the SEC is all about investor protection, then it actually makes total sense to have a have a crypto ETF, have that regulated, brought under their, their oversight, oh, yeah. And then allow the U.S. marketplace. Well, because people yes, still do it. There's exactly. still mechanisms to do it, right? The grayscale exactly. trusts and things like that. They're just so much less regulated, so much and they less cost reported, more. so much, so many fewer rules yeah. around it. And they actually cost a lot more for those investors who are able to even enter into that space. It's costing them five, ten times as much, right? Because that that one runs about fifty. Yeah, that one runs about fifty yeah. percent, right? Which is a value of of value versus yeah. versus true value. Yeah, which is crazy. Like. <laughs> And an ETF can actually do like straight mirroring of that with with real, you know, with real market adjusting end of day stuff. Yeah. That's super interesting. Actually, on the same vein of current events, some crazy current events, and hopefully not another black eye on the industry here, but um, Silvergate Capital, for those listeners that may not have heard, um, will liquidate after crypto collapse wipes out their bank. You know, they, they said Wednesday afternoon it's going to wind down operations and voluntary voluntarily liquidate its bank after a collapse in the crypto market, saw billions in deposits leave the bank in recent months. Um, there's been a lot of speculation as to what happened. Is it poor lending? Um, you know, you actually had a great article in Forbes, Dr. Sean, recently about scapegoats in this in this industry and, you know, why they're, that they're looking for scapegoats as opposed to the underlying fundamental issues that are happening. So wanted to get you guys' thoughts on that. You know, there's a lot of things in the background and a lot of scapegoats I see here. So uh, I'll go first there, Pat. Um, you know, and and, and so yeah, the, yeah. so the whole issue, well, the or the issues at Silvergate, I don't think really have, have much to do with the overall crypto marketplace, right? And that and that from everything I've seen, and I've been popping the hood on this story basically starting back before the holidays, and 
and honestly, from everything that I've seen, there were there were two big big things outside of the you know you know crypto is is bad headlines, right? Outside of that, there were there were two main things. One is that more and more and more there are more allegations, lawsuits, and there are class action lawsuits, basically saying that that the management team at Silvergate, both uh, at large and the two individuals in charge of Silvergate, were actively involved in basically funneling money from FTX to Alameda Research. So one that that's a that's a big big issue it has nothing to do has has Oops. nothing to do with the price of <laughs> of of Bitcoin or anything else. And then two, it is a classic yeah. mismatch between assets and obligations. Anybody who's ever taken banking 101, right? Right, understands that that the that the core risk of any bank is you have to is the bank manager team has to manage their assets and obligations and the team at Silvergate again as more evidence or information is is actually brought out to the marketplace, it's more and more obvious that all of that had not really happened. And then, yeah, sure, as they as they had customers trying to uh, um, pull assets out, all of that then further inflamed those two underlying issues. Yeah, there are there are already partial partial reserves. Sean, I have a question sure. for you, which maybe you don't. No problem, you don't know the answer to. It. This is very technocratic. Um, Normally, when a bank is unwinding, the FDIC will take them into receivership, yeah. right? Even that, even in voluntary yeah. unwinding, won't the FDIC get involved? Is the FDIC getting involved in this, or was like was Silvergate FDIC insured? Is the FDIC getting involved in this? Was this a weird structure? Like, I, I'm super yeah, curious so, about that. Excellent question, Pat. And I don't have an exact answer for you, but 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 I have two things that could hopefully help your audience to get their own answers. One is that yeah. during the last week or so. Uh, the FDIC had been in talks with with the uh, bank management team. So I would assume that even if they weren't directly covered, they were partially covered. And and I'm only uh, I'm only putting that out there because actually, and I I forget when exactly, but during the last few months, Silvergate actually took out a a federal home bank loan. I believe is the actual name for it, in excess of $4 billion. So, so they had taken out. I, this is, this is where you, you more, all the executives of the bank mortgage their houses for the, uh, for the bank here. Um, that's how it should be. But, uh, I think, I think, but anyway, <laughs> off the record there. No. Is it after, is it, yeah. no, no. Yeah. If there, if there'd been any justice after 2008, we would have, that would have been the new, the yeah. new way to do no, it. And so, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that instrument. It's so it's it's a mortgage against. Well, so the bank, basically, it is it is a loan extended to a banking institution to help backstop that bank. Originally, I believe it was developed after the 07 meltdown. Uh, and so and so, so I'm not entirely oh, wow. clear if the if the bank itself was was backed by the FDIC because it's it's worth noting that all of us are talking about Silvergate because of its exposure to the crypto space. But actually, prior to just the last couple of years, Silvergate, it was a normal bank, a normal trad, a tradfi banking institution. So, so there's probably some partial coverage, but I'm not quite sure as to the actual actual numbers right here. Yeah, and the you know f funny part, their website's still up, so I guess that's good. But their website, their <laughs> website's up, but with just a banner that says that it's uh, they're going into liquidation. Super, super interesting.
So, um, yeah, the whole thing is is uh, a real shame because honestly, Silvergate was one of the. I think a lot of people have said it was sort of like the bedrock of the banking because one of the things that you do run into is it's it's actually not all that e- easy to get access to banking as a crypto company. Uh, you, you might not make it through risk. Uh, you might not make it through risk analysis. You might not be able to find someone that wants to to just that wants to deal with you at all. Um, you know, we got lucky because we don't, you know, we're not really, well, we are a crypto company, but like from the perspective of a bank in terms of, are we, you know, are we compound? Like, are we actually doing DeFi, right? Like creating, you know, creating securities. We don't issue tokens, things like that as at Bitwave. So we haven't had a, we did not have a huge amount of trouble getting a bank. Although I still had to go to my personal banker who I'd known for years and get him to bring in the, you know, the VP to like, you know, sort of r- run the whole thing through. So it was to like, even for us, getting a bank was a unnecessarily relationship driven activity. You know what I mean? Like, which was really silly. Um, and and so Silvergate was a really important part of the ecosystem. There was a place people knew they could go and actually get a bank account as a crypto company. How do you think that's going to change things? Uh, well, it already is possibly right. And I and I do know that I guess around 4 p.m. Eastern time yesterday, there were conflicting headlines coming out about JP Morgan and I believe Gemini either either canceling their their banking relationship or then not. And so, yeah, I mean, there there is this crackdown out of the Fed, out of the OCC as well, basically trying to actively encourage banking institutions to either exit any any current business dealings with any crypto native companies and or to then try to not even engage at all in that space which ultimately i think is really really counterproductive right that on the one hand the yeah. biggest bank in the u.s and among the biggest in the world jp morgan has their own onyx blockchain has their own d deposit token now and is actively pushing that for their commercial clients and their high net worth individuals. And on the other hand, the 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 banking regulators and the and the CEOs of many banking institutions are actively poo-pooing basically anything to do with Bitcoin or other tokens. So I so I do think yeah. that that we are in that we are in store for a rough patch here in terms of trying to get banking relationships. For the industry, which is unfortunate, be be because all that's ultimately going to happen is that by not having it here, it's only going to drive that capital and those people go, overseas. It'll happen yeah. somewhere. Yeah, uh, there's there's business here. Yeah. There's demand for it. There's obviously yep. consumer demand still for crypto. Uh, we've seen it with a, a few of our clients. Like we've we've had clients that up got got some sort of notice from some sort of regulatory body, like know uh, uh washed their hands laid off everybody in the u.s uh moved the founders out to portugal and are rehiring all non-us citizens like it's is that really what we want like i, I just it's it's crazy to me to think about that it's like is that that is that really the goal of the u.s government here is to basically get is to turn portugal into a worldwide financial powerhouse <laughs> <laughs> you know all of the 16 all of the 1600s a little throwback here uh because because we had you know because ftx happened and FTX itself was, it was, it was a traditional Wall Street issue. Yeah. It wasn't a crypto, it wasn't a failing of crypto. It was a failing of a Jane Street trader doing this. It was just, well, it was just, it was just 2008 all over again. 
and yet kind of blame crypto. Yeah, I mean, as as yeah, as far as I'm concerned, the the collapse of FTX and all of the allegations that have that that have come out since it was the perfect reason, right, for any policymaker, for anybody who was anti-crypto, be yeah. they in the Senate, in the House, or at various agencies. It was the perfect reason to then to then come out with a the you know, bat and to kneecap the entire industry, basically. Yep. Yeah. So let's let's take it back to that. I actually would love to get your opinions about if, if for whatever you're comfortable sure. speaking about, obviously, uh, about FTX from kind of the accounting and controls perspective. And I'll I'll start the controversy out by saying something kind of funny. Like, so one of the things that every every time there's one of these collapses, um, one of the things that comes out is that these businesses were using QuickBooks. I know, I know it's almost it's almost ridiculous, but like uh we have clients using QuickBooks that probably have I mean, probably the biggest buy money instances of QuickBooks in the world, like billions and billions of dollars in that they're that they're tracking in QuickBooks. And it's it's not. And so like my my part of it was that's so funny is like, I don't think of it as malicious and I don't think of it as as lazy is that these companies went from like two people to 4000 people over the course of 16 months and like a normal NetSuite deployment takes six months. So like when between those two points would they have time to, to roll out NetSuite or SAP or something? But the other side of that, of course, is that FTX was doing that with 150 entities. <laughs> so I guess so I, I guess they must have had 150 QuickBooks instances and 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 something. I mean, there's no like you can't do that. That's not a, that that itself is not realistic. But like from an accounting perspective, from a controls perspective, like talk me through how you were thinking about this FTX collapse as it was happening. Um, what you think important learnings are from it. Sure. It. And so, and I, I first really started paying mind, mind on the accounting and on the balance sheet issues at FTX. I believe we, I believe it was back on November 3rd. And as that, as that whole drama unfolded on Twitter, basically. And, you know, you're right. And, <laughs> and pretty much it was, it was, it was a fun drama. To, I mean, honestly, it was a yes. fun movie to watch. Like, the allegations, the the counterpoint, like there will be, I think the joke that goes around is there will be a really good Netflix documentary starring Jonah Hill <laughs> about this in the not too distant future. Probably, probably. That's right, Dr. Shung. You and I were actually on the huddle. We were actually on the Wall Street Podcast Alliance working group call when the whole Twitter debacle was happening live. Yeah. yeah. So we were all just eating popcorn, watching, watching, it. watching the meltdown happen in real time. Yeah. No. And so from uh, an accounting point of view, I mean, it was possibly the worst accounting setup that I've ever actually seen, right? You know, everyone is is drawing comparisons from FTX to, to Enron, right? And yes, those are absolutely correct sort of parallels, but Enron, at the very least, had been an actual company. FTX, right, by all allegations, and again, you know, the, the, the actual court case is still ongoing, right? But all allegations point to the entire enterprise from top to bottom being run as, at the very best, a unethical firm, and at the very worst, a complete Ponzi scheme. And from a yeah. internal controls point of view, it was a mess, right? There was no external board. Basically, the entire company was managed by five people, or you know, five or ten people, all of whom were actually dating each other which is a humongous red red yeah. flag outside <laughs> of any personal drama. 
But having all of those same people running the company, I mean, that's a yeah. that, that's a disaster. Yeah, you didn't you didn't see that in Texas in 1999. That's for sure. Yeah. No, and then you know, and then all of these uh, back doors that were that were hard coded into the operating code at FTX that that should have been caught. And uh, I won't touch on the auditors who were involved yet. We can always hop on hop on that that later. But, you know, from a, from a control point of view. <laughs> well, because they, they also, yes. there's also legal action. There. I mean, we're talking about, like, there's legal yeah. action happening there. There's PCOAB yep. actions happening there. There's, there's a lot of stuff happening, yeah. happening there. And of course, like Armanino, who's like only yeah. tangentially involved. Like they, I mean, they totally yep. exited the space after this yeah. also. I mean, so. it was a complete mess from anything to do with the bookkeeping controls. Any sophomore year college accounting student could have told you that there were all, all of these issues at FTX. And then also, you know, you know, there's this whole thing as to, well, how did funds get transferred from me as an external user of FTX? I deposit money into FTX and then, and unknown to me, those funds are then transferred to Alameda. How did that happen? And how was that not called? Well, it was, wasn't even unknown to you. You would send your funds to Alameda because they were still the ones that the ACH relationship and then they would just never send their money or, or either they would send the money on or they would never but, send the I money mean, from on from top from to there, bottom. Is, I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a case study, yeah. Netflix special, doctoral research for decades as to how this whole thing. So as, as sort of a, as sort of a researcher, I, I am kind of curious as sort of a researcher, like, do you tend to put a lot of the blame? I mean, outside of the five, 10 individuals that ran the company, but like, do you tend to put a lot of the blame directly on the fact that there was no board or do you, is that maybe scapegoating it a little bit? I mean, it is weird that there well, was no board. It, it was weird that at a company that yeah, at a company weird. that had attracted almost $2 billion of, of external capital, um, from the, from the IPE space had, had no board had no CFO and on top of that had no audits done. I mean, so I don't, I don't yeah. place the blame on the board because there was no board, right, Pat? But, but I would, but <laughs> you have to have a board. To I place. would say <laughs> that obviously it is the individuals in charge of, of FTX have to be held yeah. to account on this. And also there, there are going to have to be some questions asked and I don't know how, how so, how realistic this is, there are going to have to be hard questions asked of those external VCs, PE funds who gave yeah. SBF almost $2 billion of capital and apparently didn't ask any questions. I, I think I, I think I got, I, I think I got a VC really pissed off at me because I was at a, a panel and, and I asked him if he, how, how culpable he holds the VCs <laughs> for the action as opposed to that, yeah, he didn't really like that question too much. But it, I mean, that's my my take on this. One hundred percent, this is the VC's fault. Like literally, it, it's is essential. I mean, gosh, I don't know. It, it's criminal that they did that they did not demand a board. Now it's easy to say that twenty twenty when everyone was fighting for these these deals, but it also like they should not have. I mean, I guess they I guess they reap what they sow in some ways, right? They didn't demand a board. They were scrambling to do whatever it would take to get this deal done, and then they lost all their money. So. I guess yeah, that and makes uh, sense. there was an interesting. Um, Go ahead, Raphael. To, to, to piece to that really quickly about the sure. board, because Shamath um, from All In Podcast <clears throat> kind of talked about that that they he was approached, you know, 
to be an investor. And, you know, they had given them a bunch of stipulations and guidance, you know, before we invest. One of the things was, you know, you create a board. And he said they'd come back a week later and they basically told him to kick rocks. So, um, but, yeah. it, you know, much, much more uh, vile words, but, <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, yeah they, much, they knew what they were doing. Language. Yeah. Do you, uh, so do you think, is there, is there anything that, uh, gosh, I mean, what, what is, is, what are your lessons from FTX? Like, again, as a researcher, as a, as a philosopher about accounting, philosopher like, what are your, about accounting. what are the lessons nice, we learned here? Cause nice, like, nice. I'm going to use that going well, forward. Just, it's just one of those things like it's, I, yeah, you, I mean, that's a new LinkedIn that's tagline. Yeah, philosopher the, about accounting. The, I mean, that's the, yeah, the PhDs in the space, like that is, it's the people who sort of think about this stuff at the existential, the meta level. Because uh, honestly, like for me, I look at this and like, there are, there are point, you know, for instance, FTX was not a BitWave customer. Like, yeah, I think that there are some great learnings for the universe there. They should, they should have been. Um, but I, but I, I think I try to think about more general learnings here and I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes stimmied on it because. It was just fraud and it was fraud committed during, you know, allegedly again, it is until proven guilty, but it was fraud committed during a, a market bubble. Like I kind of struggle myself to find the real deep learnings around this. So in, so in, in terms of the deep sort of takeaways here, Pat, it's really just two or at the most three, three items here. One is, is that there's never a excuse or a reason to have one person be the face of any industry. I don't care how new it is, how fast it is. No, no. And I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, and that it's, it's red, red flag red number flag. one, right? That that is a picture perfect yeah. image of of regulatory capture. Having him advising senators, lawmakers, regulators on drafting policy that would directly influence his company. Can you imagine for just a second? If the if the current CEO of Exxon Mobil was was at the uh, agriculture committee meetings, the, the EPA, EPA yeah, directly yeah. telling them how to write policy, that's absurd. One, two, is is that you know if you for for us as people who are in the accounting auditing advisory space, we have to know what what we're doing, and we have to know that and we have to know what what we don't know and that was a big big issue at ftx i think because ftx us had audits done and ftx japan now mind you ftx japan directly because of the regulations there had to had to keep those assets in japan at japanese regulated financial institutions and customers of ftx japan have been able to with 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 the draw funds out of FTX Japan for the last two and a half weeks, FTX US customers probably aren't ever going to get anything back. So one that oh you think is that, I I was under the impression that they would potentially, but I but I honestly don't know. I this is that purely from that's honestly that's from the fud that FTX was was spreading, not as opposed to the fud about FTX. That was the FTX oh uh, based on uh, <laughs> based on the you know bills. Bills that I've seen anecdotally for the lawyers handling the bankruptcy. I don't know how. Don't know how much of it is is is, is actually going to be left. <laughs> like they're yeah, they they might be fully entitled <laughs> to it, but whether they get it or not no. is a completely and then, different issue. <laughs> and then and then and then three right. You know there there was this bull bull market, and there and there was this thing where on the where I don't think 
people in charge on any level took took crypto seriously, right? During 2019, 2021. Yeah. And so now, as you so well put earlier, Pat, we are reaping the impact of that. That basically by ignoring crypto, yeah. by in effect, allowing it to operate offshore and then come into the US market, I mean, we, we, all of us were a indirect cause of what happened at FTX, although the direct blame, if there is any blame for this, uh, fraud that is being alleged still, still lies directly with the management team and the external investors who invested and mind you that the whole job of a PE manager or a, or a, uh, VC, their entire job and business model is to effectively vet investments. So, so I don't, right. I don't. I don't buy that. Oh, it was a it was a bull market. There was a lot of pressure. That's your job. That's your whole business is to yeah. is to operate this way. So if you aren't up to it, exit the field. Well, and, and honestly, VCs always yes. operate yeah. in bull markets. Like you think about right right now, the the market shifted from from blockchain being the the, hot, AI. the hottest thing to now uh, AI being the hottest thing. And I think and we just saw that company raise fifty four million dollars that does uh, Chat GPT mm -hmm. for slides. Like so like and every any bull market can have uh interesting interesting yeah. investments and and uh stuff like that but you know, I think that there is do you think well there are we going to start to see any uh from less accounting more controls like I you know it's not that there were not control frameworks to handle this they ignored them but it's also not like there are control frameworks for this stuff right like you know, the, the idea, like all everything in crypto, the control frameworks are all based on yeah. traditional banking controls, which are pretty good, but have a couple glaring lacks, like glaring deficiencies. For instance, most banks don't actually custody their mm -hmm. own securities, right? Most banks like TD Ameritrade use a DTCC and that's so they're like, we actually don't offer a lot of guidance outside of maybe like gold brokers and things like there's, there's funny little parts of the world where people do custody real real assets and and not just sort of do a shared custody but um are we gonna see real control structure start to come out I, around this i'd certainly hope so pat right and that and that <laughs> i would i would say that i'm encouraged by the fact that the aicpa fasb and the pc aob all now are trying to be more more active in one sort of pointing out pointing out where those gaps are in the in the in the either control conversation or the audit conversation, but but I would say that 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 yes, and and it's unfortunate that that it took the collapse of FTX and all of the other shockwaves that are sort of indirect effects of that to then cause this competition to actually start happening. But I do think that over the next twelve to eighteen months, there are going to be more, and probably the internal control conversation will come faster as opposed to the audit conversation. Yeah. Do you think they, so that would be, I was going to say, so that, so the, so the PCAOB will drive the audit conversation. Is it going to be the big four that drive the control conversation or who, who gets to, who gets to kind of set the, the well, I mean, there? I, well, you know, uh, the, the big four, I think sometimes have too much influence over these conversations, but what was, it was the big four that originally, uh, I always joke because it's kind of funny that we talk about impairment as though it was law, but it was yep. really just the big four that published yep, that the white paper. They said we should do impairment on this stuff, and then that then literally led to the to an industry for the next exactly, like seven years of what was exactly happening. That. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's going to probably be the uh uh the, the big four. I would say the, the say at the very most probably the the top twenty firms, but it's going to be a probably a 
a collaboration between groups like the AICPA and the Big Four, trying to talk to the FASB, trying to get some sort of, even if it's a non-authoritative standards, but to have some sort of objective yep. framework out there into the marketplace. Yeah. I think we'll see. Well, are we going to see new ASCs come out that are really targeted directly around digital assets? I mean, like the interesting question for, of course, coming off of the FASB news right now is, you know, even if we we remove impairment for Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's uh, two out of, you know, 100 million tokens that we've covered uh, and then an infinite number of NFTs, obviously. Like they, there's going to have to be some sort of control, like some sort of analysis frameworks to start to come out yeah, of this and, stuff, right? And what I would say there is that having the ASC out the door and published for Bitcoin and Ether, then it's going to be a lot easier from an accounting firm point of view or an audit point of view to then say, okay, fine. So we have no rules on the books for for a portion of this marketplace. Now it's a lot easier for me as the auditor to to go and say, well, for a you know newly issued or thinly traded crypto asset or token, I can use existing ASC codifications. Whereas right now, doing that makes sense, but but I didn't have any basis to then to then connect crypto into current ASCs. So I would say that that, that yes, having that first one on the books will help. And two, it's going to be a lot easier to then add on to that or to expand it to include some of these other tokens, probably not all of them, but to at the very least sort of outline two, three, four, five broad, broad categories of tokenized assets. Yeah. Danny, you guys brought up some really good points. The Portugal point overseas and then some of the regulation, because this actually falls in line with that recent article that I referenced earlier that you had just uh, published uh, on Forbes, Dr. Sean. You kind of have three really interesting points that I want you to dive deeper on, but it was like regulation by edict, pushing innovation overseas, and audits are still evolving, obviously. But were there any things out that you kind of want to discuss a little bit further on that? Because it's, it's, it's all really interesting. And... Uh, um... What I would say there, Raphael, thank you for the compliment, by the way. And uh, and what I would say there is that in in any industry, trying to create rules via the court system is the worst possible way forward, right? And that's, no, it's, <laughs> it's the worst possible way forward. And that the best rules are, are firm, flexible, and a result of ongoing conversation, right? Because any industry has to have rules. But how those rules are developed and then implemented, right? There has to be time to implement these things too. That is a big part of it. And then too, as we are seeing, right? Crypto is a global business. Pat, I'm sure you have, you have firsthand knowledge of this. You know, I mean, it, it's a global business and the US is the center of it right now, but there's no guarantee to have us be at the center of it going forward. World's a big place. In fact, we're doing everything we possibly can to not have us be the center of it going forward we're making it so much more more yeah. difficult unfortunately and i let I me mean, the point about the point about regulation through through uh, legal action is probably the single the single biggest thing that annoys me about about everything right now is and this is one of those things that it crosses political divides like it is just one of those things that it is the worst way to run a country like it is the absolute way like, this like like Communist Russia had regulation through legal action. I mean, now their their legal action was like harsher than ours. It was more like gun action. But it's like it that that is the kind of thing that that you know undeveloped like underdeveloped countries do. Not the world superpower that has the most to gain or lose from digital assets, and, and completely 
like dusting your hands and absconding from actually taking responsibility for doing real regulation here is it's it's criminal in my mind. Like it really is just such a a miss uh, from the regulators. Absolutely, and and I mean there there is no evidence that I can see so far that any of that is on the route to evolving or ultimately changing anytime soon. Big Daddy Gensler, you know, I mean he's he's treating every token, every every crypto asset as a equity instrument. And, you know, in his public comments, he's been very adamant about that, even though he's he's probably wrong, I would say, right? And that and that yes, there yeah. are certainly crypto assets that that do fall under that umbrella. But but most of them don't. Hundred percent. Most of them don't. Right. You know, and and the whole audit point, Raphael, is that now the whole proof of reserves conversation that it was fascinating to watch how quickly that concept went from being this sort of magical tool to being completely destroyed in the uh, in the marketplace conversation. And that ultimately proof of reserves, it's a great first draft. Right. It's an excellent first draft as to how to integrate audit practices into stable coin issuers, crypto marketplaces, or uh, any crypto operators. But it's a it's a first draft that at best only highlights half of the whole conversation, highlights the assets, but it's not really focusing on one, obviously the the obligations. And then two, how easy is it for those customers, investors, users to get access to those assets? And all of that really hasn't been addressed yet. Do you, I, so do you think that the concept of, of proof of reserves or we, we usually, when we talk about, we call it like polar sure. proof of liabilities sure. and reserves. Cause it's, that's in order to, you really mm-hmm. have to have both to make it an interesting yep. topic. Um, do you think it's sort of dead on arrival and bumping up against PCAOB standards and it's, you know, cause it's a, what, what do they, what do they call those actions? That's a, it's a, a non, it's a non audit action, right? Cause it's, it's something you really shouldn't be sharing non-standard, um, forget the term for it, but. Do you think like this this concept is kind of dead on arrival, or do you think we actually will see it mature into something that's that's usable over the next few years? What I would say there is 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 the actual name is is dead or DOA, but the idea of it, yeah. right? Basically, trying to audit cryptographic assets and to do so using the underlying blockchain to identify total assets versus obligations. That is 100% going to stay and evolve. But the, but the actual yeah. name, proof of reserves, is definitely DOA. Or, or at the very best outcome, it's going to be on the back burner for the next half year or so. But that, yeah, or it, or longer. I mean, well, it's it's one of those things. That I it's the thing is that it's not a bad it's it's not a bad thing in general, right? This idea of actually doing attestations for your holdings that are provable on chain is actually a really amazing, I mean, I would love if my bank, if my bank actually had something like that for how much money they have and what they're, like what they're actually sitting on in terms of their fractional reserves. I'm sure, I'm sure the FDIC sees it, but they don't often share that kind of stuff with their, their lowly, uh, uh, their lowly uh, customers. So there's, there's, there's something beautiful there about transparency that I really like, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if it actually turns into something. Like I said, you know, it, 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 um, the idea, it's an excellent first first draft, right, of how to audit blockchain-based assets. But but it's a first draft, right? And there's going to have to be more 
more <laughs> added to it, and and it is going to have to be be tweaked. Anybody who's ever you've written anything, coded anything, knows that 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 a first draft is always a good start, but there's always quite a bit of work left. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I have a question as we're as we're wrapping things up here. I have a question to to get us uh uh to to end on a on a happier note because I always like to make sure we're ending we on go. a happy note uh, instead of an FTX <laughs> note. Um, so from, from your book, uh, the, you know, Emerald handbook of blockchain for business, um, one of the questions I would have would be, and, and this is sort of a general question, but what are you excited about? Like, what are the really cool use cases, uh, business centric use cases, things like that, that you are excited about? What do you think is going to come over the next, you know, next nine months for through 2023? What, what are you expecting to see happen, uh, in blockchain? Like what are the cool stuff? What's cool yeah, stuff? Sure. Coming down the so bike? off the top, I am most excited about anything that's non-payment related right um i that, that's what i'm most <laughs> amped about uh and that's and i really two things come to mind one is this uh, <clears throat> one is this idea of how to integrate blockchain-based record keeping and transparency into healthcare records right because healthcare records it's always been an issue back to 2005 it was a big deal having to having to take those records out of paper form but there are tens of thousands of people here in the U.S. who die every single year due to paperwork errors in, in the healthcare system. And anybody who's ever had to go, go to any doctor for any medication or, or, or outpatient treatment knows how complicated it can be. So trying to integrate that. And obviously, yeah. as we're post-COVID, healthcare is obviously a, a sort of front burner issue for everybody. Health, healthcare yeah. is a nightmare right now, man. Dude, healthcare. I uh, I have never been more frustrated with something in my entire life than trying to get a. a oh, what I had to do? Oh, I, I had to get a, I had to get a doctor's appointment last week, and like, and I I I I use mm -hmm. UCSF. Like, UCSF is one of the top medical providers in the entire world. Like, it is consistently one of the highest ranked uh, hospital systems. And it was still like it was like six months out to get just a primary care checkup, and like. It, it is insane what we're going through in healthcare right now. Now, I think a lot of those problems are not tied to no. necessarily the record keeping part of it, but we do have, there's sort of a, a top to bottom rethinking of how we do healthcare in America that absolutely we have to be going through right absolutely now. Absolutely right. And so, yeah. And so while I wouldn't say that, that having blockchain will then address everything, it'll go a long way towards trying to fix some of those uh, inefficiencies. And cost too, which is it's nipping at all the yep. different inefficiencies. Yep. Yeah, it's it's finding all the different efficiencies and and, high, and costs and starting to nip them down so that we can do good things like hire more nurses, pay them more, like all the things that get yeah. better results demonstrably. Uh, and and record keeping is not one of those things I think that is necessarily tied to that. It's super interesting that you you carved out payments because I actually am really mm -hmm. excited about payments in 2023 mm -hmm. from crypto because in a world where we are. Um, really everyone's belt tightening. Everyone is doing this sort of deep analysis about, uh, uh, you know, cutting costs and all this kind of stuff. If you can send millions of dollars around the world for essentially seven cents yep. on Polygon, you know, that's, there is real, with instant settlement, there's real value there. Like that's, that's really magical kind of stuff in a world of cost cutting. So, but you're, are you, are you just sick of talking about payments or do you actually think that there's, that there's uh, some some fundamental issues with payments no, in crypto so, right now. So I am I am totally optimistic on the future of of tokenized payments. I just don't think here in the U.S., given the regulatory environment, that there's that there's going to be too much forward progress made during the rest of of 
2023. And so that's why I was like outside of payments. Uh, I'm personally, Pat, I am all about cheaper, faster, instantaneous payments. I'm all on that train. I just don't think that that there's going to be too much publicly talked about it. I do think, though, that any any major institution, right, to your point, is is definitely going to be having a hard look at how to integrate those options and how to get those savings going forward. I just don't think there is going to be too much publicly talked about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is it's, it's yeah, maybe that's a really good way to say it is like, I don't think there will be a lot of public about it, but you will start to see like my, my thing is I think you will absolutely start to see the banks using this for international payments and transfers. You'll start to see more and more sidestepping around the traditional yep. ACH and SEPA networks, like uh, just purely for instant settlement, if for no other reason than purely for instant settlement. And it still is like, it still is something that we want. Like I, I joke about this quite a bit that, you know, we, if if I wasn't doing Bitwave as a startup, you know, I would be working on a bank where you could send USDC and then wire out USD that exact same like like five minutes later. Like that's still is a dream for me. I mean, we get paid something like fifteen to twenty percent of our customers pay us in crypto, and it's crazy to me that I have to send it to Kraken, trade it, wire it back to myself in order to use it to wire out. It's just it's just so incredibly silly. And Silvergate was probably the closest thing. They were getting pretty close to actually having that shoot. <laughs> so I'm, um, so I, but I am, I'm like genuinely curious. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about, about payments. Okay. So you like, you like record keeping on the blockchain, which I'd say is healthcare titles, things like that. What else, what else are you looking so, forward to this year in yeah, the blockchain so a world? Additional area that I'm really amped about is how to better integrate zero knowledge proofs into our yeah. personal data. Right. And so, and so yeah. a quick anecdote that I always use is that I use apps constantly for everything, right? Uber, Netflix, like all kinds of apps on this thing, too many probably. And every company has all of this information about me, 95% of which they don't actually need. And so if there is a way to only have me, Raphael, Pat, only have to give up the exact information or the correct answer to the question being asked of us by this company and only give out that portion of our personal ID, that is a real, real, real game changer. Yeah. And, and just as a quick anecdote, I am a big fan in anything to protect the personal information of an individual because I had my identity stolen back in 2018. And it took me nope. a solid Ugh, year worst. to work through all the paperwork, police reports, banks, credit cards had to be canceled. It was a whole thing. And so, and so after, after that point, anytime, anytime that I see any tool or option to improve how to protect our personal data, I mean, that is always something that, that yeah. I'm really, really amped about. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. And even, even looking different ways to protect your identity yeah. with on-chain yeah. stuff. So, I mean, like yep. with private keys yeah. and things like that is, is, uh, well, it's, yeah, it's hard to imagine it happening anytime soon. I, and I think I'm also with you on ZKs in general, because ZKs are going to be one of the major, I mean, because we talked about accounting for this stuff, the, the end result of a lot of the, like when we finally get to a world where, where accountants are being replaced by blockchain, like the thing that people are scared about, which is definitely not happening anytime soon, but the place we find together, one of the major hurdles to that is that a lot of people just don't want their revenue yeah. on the blockchain yeah. like it is it is still today it is very difficult like we go through 
pretty extreme lengths to protect the various, to kind of obfuscate the different revenue streams that we have on the blockchain. Like it's, it's non-trivial to kind of do it. And so we, so ZKs will get to the point where it's easier to have fully audited, you know, high levels of confidence, but obfuscated uh, business activity on the blockchain, which really is required before we get true yep. business adoption. 100%. Like, all the stuff we're doing up to this fun is it's, it's fun and games, but you, Exxon's never going to do this until, until they could send, I mean, I, I say this jokingly, but not joking, like until they could send like a million dollars to, you know, some corrupt dictatorship uh, to buy oil rights without it being public knowledge on the blockchain, they're never going to adopt this stuff. But the second they could do that, this would change the nature of their business yeah. quite a bit. So that might've been a little bit too harsh on Exxon. So sorry, guys, I, I take it all back. But it is, but, but, but private, like secured, obfuscated transactions are incredibly important. So the rise of ZKs is, is absolutely a part of absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, this has been a, a really good conversation. And we're wrapping up the time here. And again, Dr. Sean, thank you so much for being here. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, Pat has always, you know, we're, we're, one thing that I want to make sure that our listeners can, uh, how do they get a hold of you? How do they get a hold of your new book? Just, if you can let us know that information, it'd be awesome. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm on social media at Sean Steinsmith. Everywhere, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, I'm all over social media constantly. You guys see me probably too much. Um, and and as far as any any books that I write, they're all available both on the Emerald site and they're all up on uh, Amazon also. So easy to buy, share, post, whatever. So awesome. We'll look to link that out once this once this comes out. Again, thank you so much. Appreciate all the listeners. Um, and we're gonna have some more amazing guests lined up. Uh, and just so stay tuned. Uh, but thank you all for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, Sean. It was amazing, buddy. Always good to catch up with you, man. Excited to see you soon. Uh, hopefully we'll see you in like consensus or something like that. And, and uh, great chat. All right, buddy. Pat, thank you so much. It was a blast.